the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. Well, it's time for some doubleheader baseball. I'm Steve Zinsmeister with Cody Fincher, as well on the Ain't No Fang podcast. We're recording this on, what day is today? Tuesday? Something like that. Today is Tuesday, <laughs> and it is between the doubleheader games that the Arizona Diamondbacks are playing. Uh, we'll get to the first game in just a second, but just a reminder that this season, starting this season, doubleheader games, still nine innings. They are no longer. I kind of miss the seven inning doubleheaders. Why? Because I work those games. And okay, the games so you just wanted to go faster. Home. Yeah, that checks yes, out. Yes, I'm you. selfish in that re- that regard. I hated it because that's how we got the seven inning no, no hitter. hitter that didn't count. That didn't count. I'm still bitter about it, as I'm sure Madison Bumgarner is. Um, so two games today. First game already over. Second game getting underway. Give me the quick recap of game. One well, uh, Christian Walker hit another home run, so that was really cool. Uh, his eighth of the year, he's leading the team in home runs. Um, so the Diamondbacks are up three to one. I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head. I'm not even looking at anything. They're I'm up, impressed. They're up three to one in the sixth. Tyler Gilbert, who started the game, was freaking cruising, dude. He was he was p- pitching so well. He had six strikeouts through five innings. He's making Dodger hitters look like look like fools really look like rocky scrubs, <laughs> look like scrubs. <laughs> instead of all former mvps um they are but Most it them. turned out he got through uh in the sixth inning it would have been his third time through the lineup and the dodgers started to tee off on him and i believe tory admitted this after the game he left tyler gilbert in for too long they scored five runs no, I think he got charged with six earned runs in total, Tyler Gilbert, um, and only one had scored before the sixth inning. So, Yeesh. so yes, five runs. Math. Uh, so <laughs> in one inning? Uh, yeah, uh, a couple home runs. Um, I think Mookie Betts hit a home run. Uh, both Turners hit home runs, Trey and Justin. Um, but, yeah, in my opinion, Tyler Gilbert should have been removed after the Mookie Betts home run um, that tied the game. Um, but Torrey left him out there. He, I think he gave up another base runner. Uh, Trey Turner hit a solo home run that gave the Dodgers the lead. Then he gave up, uh, he allowed another guy to get on base. And then Justin Turner, he was for some reason still in to face right handed hitting Justin Turner and he hit one over the fence. So, yeah, not great. On a positive note, Alec Thomas homered again today. He didn't. He pulled the ball. Yeah. It was nice to see him pull the ball. Yeah, I mean, it's I like his approach, though. He he wants to go the other way. He lets the ball travel, but that's just his swing. He's going to hit a lot of baseballs to the opposite field. But I feel like when he really gets into one, he's he's pulling it, you know? Right. It's more impressive to go the other way, especially a young hitter, to be able to do that. But when you pull it for power, that's something that we don't expect Alec Thomas to be a 25, 30 homer a year guy. I think I probably project him somewhere between like. 10 and 20. 20 at most. 20 is on the high end. Maybe 10 to 15. Yeah. But he's already got two. Yeah. And he's only been here, what, like a week? <laughs> Something like that. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we're underestimating his power abilities. But that was kind of a good note that I had in game one. Um, going into game two, which I believe is just underway uh, here in the last couple of minutes. Obviously, this is a podcast. 7 so 10. It'll, it'll Seven, be over by the time you hear it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to start in. Uh, in like 10 minutes. Uh, the biggest thing that 
happened leading into game two is the Diamondbacks scratched Cattell Marte from the lineup Yes, um, for the finale of the doubleheader. Uh, he was originally slated to bat third and play second base, but according to uh, Gambo, he got scratched. He's listed as day-to-day. It's a hand left-hand soreness is what they're calling it. Yeah, and that's what um, Nick Percoro tweeted. It's uh, something minor popped up, and the D-backs say he has left-hand soreness. Apparently it happened because Cattell didn't start the first game of the doubleheader. He came off the bench and ended up having two two RBI singles in that game. Um, but Percoro said it happened during his final at bat of game one. He was up in the ninth inning. He was seen icing his hand between games. Well, hopefully it's not a long-term thing. Yeah, hopefully. Please. Um, we know how Cattell can be. And yeah. We know how incredibly talented he is. Um, don't look too hard at the batting average. He's been very good lately. It's just that he had such a slow start that his it numbers don't look good. It was so bad that it has taken him playing extremely well lately to get it to 219. Right. So if you look at it like you were saying on the surface is like oh he's having a bad you know he's having a bad year I'm like and you wouldn't be wrong he is having a down year so far but lately he's been really really good yeah so um, so but our hope is that he's not out long yeah because we all know I mean Cattell has had his injury issues um, in the last few years but normally normally his injuries involve his legs in some way primarily his hamstrings so I was happy to hear it wasn't his hamstrings again. Um, so if it's just his hand is sore, I don't know if like he took an awkward swing and he just jammed his hand or I don't know. Well, good news but. is he has two of them, so he can just use the other. Yeah, one, he's right? a switch hitter. That's how that works, right? That's what that means. You don't need both to play baseball. Come do you? on, just DH him. That's what the Phillies are doing with Bryce Harper. He Bryce Harper has a partially torn UCL in his throwing arm. Oh yeah, that's right. And he's not playing defense, but he can still hit. See, uh, it's like what, that's risky. It's like what the Angels did with Otani two years, two or three years ago when he first came up and he got hurt pitching, but he could still hit, so they were still playing him. You said UCL, right? Yes. So that's elbow. Yes, that's like that's what people get Tommy John for, right? Is it in his throwing arm? Yes, I assume he can't yeah. play defense, right? So they're having him DH instead. Well, thank goodness for the DH. Yes, I guess. Yeah, we'd be for the Phillies. I mean, yeah, I mean Bryce Harper. I think I saw on the on the MLB Network ticker on the bottom they said in the last week he has like a batting average over 600 bryce harper so that kind of really well that kind of pigeonholes but, you as a team though well yeah they because have, now you have to play kyle schwarber position. and nick castellanos have to play defense uh, and they're not very good that's at it. something i was looking forward to after this offseason the phillies signed so many big offensive names but they're all defensive liabilities and so to see they're that all, all kind DHs. of ages yeah to see that come to fruition like is bryce harper is their best fielder out of those guys for sure so you talked about tyler gilbert in game one and it is a fine line for a manager to figure out when to pull a guy especially a guy who hasn't had a lot of major league starts yeah you don't know the guy super well yet and his his capabilities i know he threw the no hitter in his first ever game (laughs) right so to say that he can't go deeper than six five or six innings is is laughable Well, well here's the thing his pitch count was manageable going into the sixth but the Dodgers made adjustments on him the third time through the lineup, which is usually where you kind of go, oh boy, here we go with starting pitchers, especially nowadays. And it was pretty obvious that the Dodgers knew what was coming and they were teeing off on him. So I thought it was pretty obvious that he needed to be taken out of the game, um, especially after he gave up the lead. But he was left in for about three more batters and he 
and it piled on. And on, I mean, the, the 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 final score was seven to six, I believe, seven to six. So I mean, you can't assume that if Tori Lavello removes Tyler Gilbert, that the Dodgers don't score five runs in that inning. I mean, right? But they were teeing off on Tyler Gilbert in that inning. So I mean. I don't know. Maybe we would have seen a win. Maybe, maybe. Who knows? You, you, you can't. You can't play like that. You can't think like that. As when if you're a part of that team, like, well, if Tory just took Tyler Gilbert out, we would have won. I mean, that's not the case. Well, especially but, with how bad the bullpen's been. Right. That's where I was going next because there's been a complete separation of the two for this Diamondbacks team so far. And when I say the two, I mean the starting rotation and the bullpen have performed dramatically different. You have three guys in your starting rotation who have been nothing but awesome. Madison mm-hmm. Bumgarner, Merrill Kelly, and Zach Gallen. Mm-hmm. They've been all above what we expected of them at this point. Even Zach Gallen, who we knew was talented enough to perform this well, they've all been better, I think. I saw last night that on on the Bally Sports broadcast that, I don't remember with the number, but last night at that point in the game, or going into that game, Madison's, Madison Bumgarner's ERA was the lowest in his career through seven starts. I believe that. last night. I believe that. I was like, holy crap. Like, I mean, and th- and this is the, the bum garner where we're like, well, this was a waste of a, a waste of money. But what makes it different he, is... I, I thought he would have had b- better numbers when he was in San Francisco. Sure. But, but he had better how, stuff in San Francisco. He did. Because he's not striking a ton of guys out nowadays. He's not really making it through six innings anymore no. either he's he's not a quality start kind of guy although i hate that statistic he's not a you strikeout hate that guy. statistic quality starts i think it's yeah because you could go like wins you could go five and two thirds and give up no hits and, and strike out a bunch of dudes start. and not get yeah. yeah right it's a very uh non-subjective way of assigning a very subjective statistic a lot of pitch- like what is quality? You a know lot what I mean? of pitching stats are stupid anyway. The win is stupid. The fact that definitely so, for relievers. So here, yeah, I, agree I was going to say a pitching win is almost relevant. The fact that a closer can come in, give away the game in the ninth inning, but if your team walks off in the bottom of the ninth, they get a win. Why? Because they were the last one on the mound. Pretty much. That's yeah. dumb. That's stupid. Yeah, you're not That's even stupid. on the field when your team is winning. I a game. take quality starts into more account than wins. But anyway, I will agree with that. Yeah, but I think that the standard for a quality I see start the flaw. is off. I see the flaw in the quality start. Like you have to get through six. Like yeah, because there to me there are different types of quality starts, and and I'm not talking about like the actual statistic, but in my mind, what is a quality? outing yeah there's different types there are guys who can go five innings and you know what they may have thrown 115 pitches but they didn't allow any runs that's still quality i was just gonna say like the way that teams are treating pitch counts lately right like a guy can what he strikes out 10 guys let's say in five innings but his pitch counts at 102 at the end of five that guy's not going out for the sixth inning but his start was really good so based on what you just said i came up with this in my head what if instead of six innings, it was based on a pitch count? Instead of huh. you have to reach six innings pitched, it's eighty-five pitches. Then or you then you kind of get through the whole like, well, if he throws eighty-five pitches and only goes four, well, there's yeah, that's that's gives the up problem. F- five runs, then that's not a quality start. That's the problem with cumulative statistics yeah. is that you're always going to run into the one incident where they barely yeah. missed out, right? So it's it's not a perfect fix, but. Anyway, um, but yeah, yeah, statistically, I agree with you. 
As for the bullpen, though, because that's that that's the rotation. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, the bullpen. I looked this up before the show. I don't know if this number is updated based on the performance in the first game, but uh, before today, they have the third worst ERA in all of Major League Baseball. Their bullpen at four eighty seven, second least strikeouts at one hundred and nine. They've given up more runs than the Reds, who are the worst team in Major League Baseball. Yeah. I mean, this bullpen is as close to atrocious as it gets. Now, you and I were both really big fans of the additions of Mark Melanson and Ian Kennedy. Probably mostly because there was nothing else in this bullpen going into the offseason. Other than maybe you could have said, like, Caleb Smith, who ended up starting the year in the rotation and actually spent some time in the minor leagues. But Mark Melanson threw 11 and two-thirds innings, 8.49 ERA, a whip over two? He's giving yeah. up two walks or hits per inning? Opponents are hitting 377 against him. And I don't. I think we need to divide Mark Melanson a little bit. The Mark Melanson that has come in and save opportunities has been better. He has seven saves. In eight chances. I mean, granted, he doesn't always get them one, two, three. It's usually a guy on base. But holy crap. I think I think his last three losses where he's been tagged with the loss have been games where he's come in in the ninth inning and blown it. In a tie game. In a tie game. Where it's two to two, three to three going. The last week... Uh, the day game against the Marlins. It was a three-three game. That game ended eleven to three. Miami. Not even in extras. Right. It was tied in the ninth inning, and Melanson and Wendelkin came in and imploded. Um, in his last three games, I'm sorry, last seven games, Melanson has a nineteen point two nine ERA. He's zero and three. His WHIP is three point two one. That's your closer. He has four walks. In four and two-thirds innings that time. 11 hits, 10 earned runs. That's your best reliever. That's horrible. And even after after the... So he, the same thing happened on Saturday. Um, uh, the, the D-backs were playing the Cubs, and they were tied in the ninth inning at one. And the game ended four to one. Mark Melanson didn't record an out. He couldn't get an out. Now, if I remember right, I think last year, when he led Major League Baseball in saves last year... That was with uh, Padres. Padres, yep. I believe his whip was actually pretty high. Well, I wouldn't doubt that. He's got, he doesn't have swing and miss stuff. No, yeah. I believe he his doesn't. whip was high, but his ERA was kind of low, and obviously the saves yeah, came through high. for him on a good team, granted. So it's not like he's pitching different than I expected, but and I want to be careful, too, because he is clearly pitching their most high-leverage situation. Sure. He's pitching against the best players on the other team every time out. So He's you pretty do, much only pitching in the ninth inning, though. Right. So you do Whoever's wanna, up or whatever. You do want to be kind of careful with those numbers. They are slightly inflated because he is facing tough competition in yeah. really high-leverage situations. Sure. But an 8.5 ERA, a whip over two, those are numbers that you cannot eclipse. Those are numbers that guys get demoted or fired for. Yeah. Um, Tori Lovello said something interesting. I don't remember the exact quote, but a couple things after Saturday's game where he blew it uh, in the ninth inning. He said he's just not executing his cut fastball well enough. Um, that's for sure. He's not throwing it for strikes. He's just He's not locating. And with Melanson, like... Because 
like we said, he doesn't have swing and miss stuff. He's he doesn't throw hard. His cut fastball is at the most ninety two miles an hour. So if he's not locating it, then there's the, the, it's not a good pitch. And then he's he's pretty much a two pitch pitcher. He's a cut fastball and a curveball. That's pretty. That's pretty much all he does. Um, he might throw a, a four seam straight fastball. I don't know. Um, but so when you can't locate your cut fastball, which is his best pitch, you can't really work the curveball in there either. Especially if you can't throw that for strikes. So that Tory said he just needs to he needs to really work on executing his cut fastball. Another thing that Tory said that was interesting, and I'm paraphrasing, Tory said to the media after Saturday's game against the Cubs that Melanson's start to this year reminds him a lot of the start of Fernando Rodney in 2017. Remember when we were all ready to run Fernando Rodney out of town in 2017? Yeah, I was probably among those people. But I think that I, was before I was doing this podcast with you. What I remember about that time, though, was he was blowing saves. He was blowing saves. It was a little different. Yeah, but he had a, he was bad ERA, and he was getting he was helping the team lose basically. Yeah, and and so basically, you know, Tory's whole thing was like, how did it end up for Fernando that year? Well, I looked it up. Fernando Rodney had thirty nine saves that year. Right. Not saying it's going to work out the same as Melanson. They're different pitchers. Fernando Rodney was about the same age as Mark Melanson is now what at year that was time. That? 17. Okay, so they were a good team. Too. They were a good team. Playoff team. And But Fernando Rodney was also throwing really hard still, and he had swing and miss stuff. Mark Melanson doesn't have swing and miss stuff. He is all about location and execution of his pitches and being precise, and that is not what's happening right now. He is He's walking people. He has four walks in four and in his last four and two-thirds innings. 11 hits. That means it's either out of the zone or right down the middle where they can hit it. Yeah. So he's just not executing his pitches. And I'm not saying that they should make a change at closer. When they're winning in the ninth inning, he's getting the save. If he's if he is in line for the save, he has only blown one save. He's seven for eight. But these tie game situations, and the numbers are there now for the tie games. He should not be pitching in tie games in the ninth inning anymore. So and he, I, that's just my opinion. I don't know because that's a very traditional strategy. Your closer, your quote unquote closer, if you are tied in the ninth inning, that's when they pitch because he's your best guy. There's no really other scenario where you would need the closer at home in the ninth inning. On the road, if you're tied in the ninth inning, you don't really pitch your closer because you might need him in extras if you get the lead. Um, but at home in tie games, that's where all these bad, this bad outings have come from. That's a traditional thing to do because you don't really need your closer in the, unless you know you have a lead. But after the ninth inning, if you get the lead and it's tied, you win. So who, so, who do you throw then? Who do you feel comfortable with right now in the bullpen? Uh, nobody. I mean, Joe Mantiply um, has been really good. That kid Kyle Nelson has actually been pretty good too. Um, I don't know if his numbers back that up, but he's looked pretty good. Um, I mean, I guess Ian Kennedy, but even Ian Kennedy has been kind of shaky a bit when he's come in. It seems like he doesn't really get many clean innings either. Um, so I don't really, I don't know who I trust. I don't know. Um, I just know that it, as of right now, Mark Melanson is struggling when, especially, he's struggling altogether. But especially when games are tied in the top of the ninth inning at home, he's struggling in those situations. Kyle, I don't, I don't trust Wendelkin either. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not at that point either. Uh, Kyle Nelson, 1.29 ERA, 
Very, very good. Uh, 14 innings pitched and 15 strikeouts. Yeah, he's he has been, the most strikeouts in the bullpen. He's been very good. He's been very, very good. Mark Melanson has four strikeouts. He doesn't have something to miss stuff. Kyle Nelson has 15. <laughs> Joe Mantiply has been really good. Joe Mantiply, 13 and two-thirds innings, 11 strikeouts, 0.66 ERA. He's been fantastic. He's been great. And he's a lefty, um, which helps. I don't know if I would put Noe Ramirez in that spot. Noe Ramirez has been pretty good. Um, but 4.30. Yeah, I mean, eh. He doesn't have swing. Right. He doesn't have swing and miss stuff either. He doesn't throw hard. But he's got thirteen strikeouts. I, it's crazy. Three times as many as Mark Melanson. Yep. In roughly the same amount of innings. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. If it's Ian Kennedy in those situations, I don't know. Um, the only guys I would say it shouldn't be is in in those specific situations. Tie game at home in the top of the ninth. I don't think it should be Wendelkin. I don't think it should be Melanson. Um, but then again, I mean, Mark Melanson is your closer, right? So I guess they have to think about what that means. You know what I mean? Does does that mean for this team in this situation that they're in right now, does that mean it's just when he, does he only pitch when they have a lead in the ninth inning? Is that it? Because he's probably, let's be honest. Uh, I know, I know that this team has been a pleasant surprise, so far to start the year, we're a little over a month into the season, and they are at this point. They just started game two. They are eighteen and eighteen after today's game one of the doubleheader loss. They're, or I'm sorry, they're below five hundred now. I believe. I think they're eighteen and nineteen. Um, I could be wrong about that. Let me look that up because I don't want to be wrong. Um, <laughs> Baseball Reference has them at eighteen and eighteen, but I don't think they would have included today's first game. Let me look at the standings. Yeah. They're eighteen and nineteen. Okay, right. so they're a game below five hundred. But let's. My point still stands. They've been a pleasant surprise, right? Yeah, I was. Ex- I, think I was fair. kind of expecting them to be the Cincinnati Reds. Um. So, but back to the point of Melanson. It's if he only pitches when you have a lead in the ninth. How often is that going to be? You're paying the dude. $14 million this year, and I mean, not each, but over the next two years, this season and next season, do you really want him only pitching when you have a lead in the ninth? You have to use him at some point. Yeah, and he's not hes not the kind of guy you can just like send down or you know, oh, no. any of that stuff. So he's, he's he around. He's 40 years old. There's no way he has minor league options left. Yeah. So, And I think if they were to DFA him, I think some team would probably that, claim it. Not for that money. You don't think so? Well, I don't think you would DFA. Oh no, 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 no! I'm just saying. Hypo- would somebody hypo- claim him? Hypothetically, maybe, maybe like a contender, a contender that can pay him that doesn't need him in high sure, leverage situations, right. right? But I don't know who wants to pay a guy seven million a year to not I don't know. close. Um, I don't but know. yeah, it's. Uh, I still think he should be the closer. I think he just needs to fix whatever's wrong, whether it's just not executing his pitches or whatever it is, mental, I don't know what it is. But I think he should still be the closer because, again, you can't take away that he's seven for eight in save situations. Yeah, no, that's fair. But you do have Ian Kennedy. You do have Ian Kennedy. Who has closing experience now over the last couple of years. I like Ian Kennedy. but Royals, Rangers. Phillies. Phillies. Yeah, he got traded to the Phillies last year. Um, I like Ian Kennedy in the closer role, too. Um, he not nearly to the degree, but I feel like he he does struggle a little bit with 
you know, not having clean innings. Um, He's got a one and a half whip right now. Yeah. So, I mean, he usually finds a way to get out of it, but... Three for four in save opportunities so far this season for Ian Kennedy. I'm not suggesting that they flip him. I think I'm with you where I'm going to keep Melanson there, at least for the short term. It's only 11 and two-thirds innings that he's pitched. It's a decent sample size, especially for a reliever, but give him another couple of weeks and see where you're at. And if he's still pitching just horribly, at least you have the backup option of Ian Kennedy. Yeah. And I don't know, it's too early to start talking about trades and, and, you know, do you offload a guy or whatever. It's too early for that discussion. Um, But you would hope that they could turn some of these guys around before you get to that point in the season where you have Mm -hmm. to make those tough decisions. Yeah, I think they've got a lot of questions in the bullpen. um, And they're coming, quite frankly, from the two guys, uh, or at least the one guy that you thought you were going to be able to rely on in Melanson when you signed him. but. It just hasn't been the case. Um, we kind of started a discussion last week that I want to continue at least a little bit. Um, Zach Gallen has been phenomenal this season, and we all knew he was capable of it. Um, maybe not quite to this degree. He's been really, really good. But remember, he was the piece you got back in a trade for your top prospect at the time in Jazz Chisholm. And at the time, I think a lot of fans, especially in, in Arizona, didn't really know much about Jazz Chisholm. And what he was going to turn into. And I think it's safe to say at this point, he's one of the most exciting young players in the game. That's fair, yeah. And he plays second base in Miami for a team that doesn't have a big fan base, doesn't have a great He's the type of guy that you kind of are irritated by him. But you're when he's not on your team. But you're totally watching him. Yes, but you kind of wish he was on your team. Yeah. Because he's just fun. Draymond Green. Oh, God. You hate him when you're playing. I would against take him. Draymond Green on the Suns. Oh, why do we? <laughs> that's that's a, that's I think a different podcast you just got into. Why did, like, why did I even mention the Suns? I'm still angry. I'll let the Empire of the Suns guys know I was, that you want Draymond. Uh, yeah, I was. So, you should hear some of the theories out in the newsroom here. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I was this off topic, but I was sitting. I was working the first D backs game today, game one, and I'm yeah. sitting there and I was training somebody and I. I turn to him and I just go, this is totally random. I'm like, I can't believe the Phoenix Suns aren't playing anymore. Yeah. It's like, they're gone. Bye-bye. Well, and that that's crazy leaves to me. the Diamondbacks as the only team in yeah. town. I, but it's just crazy. You know, it's, it's, Until so, NFL it's so weird because we've gone through that whole season and all of a sudden it's just gone. Yeah. I guess that's the play. How much you invested in it. I know. Then. Anyway. Yeah. No, Empire of the that. Suns. Kellen Olsen and Kevin Zimmerman. They're, They're great. great. Check them out at Arizona They're Sports. Fantastic. Um, Sorry. The, the question is, <laughs> I despite love tangents, despite how good Zach Allen has been, He's you look been at very good. You look at Jazz Chisholm, who's a great up and coming position player, and then you've got Gallon, who's a pretty well established starting pitcher at this point. Have at it. Which would you rather have right now? Did they make the right decision in getting Gallon for uh, for Jazz? I honestly think that. This might be one of the only trades, at least that I can think of, that are, is completely win-win. You know? Because most of the time there's a winner and a loser of a trade. Wouldn't you agree with that for the most part? Um, right away, you the one that wins is the one that gets the major league talent. So I guess so gallon back technically. Yeah. But, I mean... Rare, how, rarely do prospects turn out the way that Jazz has early on. But listen how good Zach Gallon has been. On Saturday, 
I was in the press box watching that game. And going into that game, he had a 0.95 ERA. He pitched six innings of one-run baseball, and his ERA went up. <laughs> his ERA went up, giving up one run. That's crazy. Like, that's how good he's been. He was dominant. He, gave, he made one mistake to Jan Gomes, and he hit it over the fence. So you'd rather have Gallon than Jazz? Now, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, Jazz is hitting over 300. He's a left-handed... Well, we Speedy don't need guy any more with, left-handers here. He's a flashy fielder. Not that that really matters all that much. A friend of mine said, <laughs> he said, we literally couldn't have traded anybody else for Zach Gallen. It had to be Jazz. Like, couldn't we have gotten them to take somebody else? Because he's like, I love Jazz. Well, but it's a testament I don't know. to... I don't know who I'd rather have. I think, I think I'm okay with... If Gallen... Oh my gosh, Christian Walker just hit another home run. Oh. Oh my goodness. Dude, he's hit three home runs in two days at he's Dodger Stadium. He's on fire. Oh, my gosh, dude. He owns that place. Christian Walker Park. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Anyway, I'm sorry. That totally no, that's, uh, popped we'll up. Talk we'll, talk about, we'll talk about him more oh in a second. Oh, my gosh. He's been playing really well. Nine home runs now? That's good. So you're thinking Jazz? You'd rather have Jazz. <sighs> you're on the fence pretty hard, I can tell. I think... I think if Zach Gallen, because he's had his injury problems too, and they've kind of been, one of them was a freak injury. The swinging the bat during batting practice last year set him back. And the, I think he had a shoulder problem coming into this year's spring training. If Jazz Chisholm stays, co- or, sorry, if Zach Gallen stays completely healthy, I think I'd rather have Zach Gallen. But that's not a given. It's not, and especially with a pitcher. But so that's I, I'm very on the fence because I think Jazz Chisholm is the type of player that this team kind of needs a little bit, even though their best player already plays second base. No, I mean like just his <laughs> at. I'm, I'm pretty sure Jazz Chisholm could probably play. He was a shortstop. You think he could still play short yeah. on this team? Yeah, he's playing second because the Marlins have Miguel Rojas, who's like their Nick Ahmed. He doesn't right. hit, but he's really good defensively. Right. So I think Jazz Chisholm could still play short. If he was still here, I think I would rather have Jazz than Gallon. And my reasoning has almost nothing to do with what they've done in their careers, other than I think it's more important at this phase of a rebuild to have great position player talent for the long term. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I've told you this before. Like the the model that has been followed by a lot of great organizations that have won championships recently is they go out and get young position player prospects that turn out Mm -hmm. and then later you go and you get an ace you trade for an ace you sign one in free agency you build your rotation that way yeah that's i mean that's the path to a championship that has been proven over the last i don't know five six seven years so i think for that reason and it has almost nothing to do with the two individuals for that reason i think i would rather have the up-and-coming flashy really uber talented Athletic infield. I get it. I mean, because the Diamondbacks don't really have that. No, Cattell Marte is a great hitter, but I don't think he's a phenomenal defender, even at second base. Uh, yeah, I think he's okay, but he's also missed a step ever since he decided. Not, well, I mean, he didn't really decide. I guess they decided not to play him in center field anymore, and that was because he kept getting injured out there. So, I'd rather have Jazz than Gallon, 
but it's not a knock on Gallon. He's the best pitcher in the organization. There's yeah, it, there's no bad there's answer no and there's no good that. answer. To I this. know. So you've asked an impossible question, right? Shame on you. You're either picking the best pitcher on your team or the best hitter on their team. Which would you rather have? And it's it's <laughs> it's really a bad hypothetical, I guess. Um, I kind of wanted to wrap up. Uh, let's talk Christian Walker real quick because you just mentioned he hit his ninth home run of the season. He's got what two today, three in the last twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's clearly your best power hitter, but uh, the power seemed to have gone away for for a time for Christian Walker when he came up. Remember and basically replaced Paul Goldschmidt when he was traded. Christian Walker had a pretty good power season that year, mm-hmm, replacing mm-hmm, Paul Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of went away over the last year or two, and it seems like he's got it back. I mean, he's almost at double digits, and we're only a month and a half into the season. Yeah, it, it seems like he, whenever he hits the ball hard, it's going over the fence. I mean, he's still, I'm pretty sure he's still, his average is still not great. Um let me see if I can find that. I just feel like, especially but, for a guy who's yeah. holding off a lot of first base prospects, pa- uh, Paven Smith Seth basically becomes Beer. an outfielder. Seth Beer, who I know I he mean, just got sent down. But going into still. T- going into today's day- game, I think this is it's not updated through uh, what's just happened in game two. Two oh seven is his batting average right yeah, now. Yeah, not good. But he granted, has, the whole team but he has, basically hitting two oh seven. But he has nine home runs. So I mean, you know, it's 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 a give or take right there. I don't know. It's I think at first base in particular, you're willing to give up some batting average in favor of power, especially when you've got a guy like him. He hits what fourth in the lineup usually. Yeah, he's hitting yeah fourth, fourth. Yeah, because Cattell's been hitting third. Well, no, I mean Torrey's made a few adjustments. He when Cattell was struggling, he moved him down to six. Yeah, I don't really care. And then that. he started to turn it on, so maybe he stays there. Um, Peralta has been hitting third. Okay. Um, the, the year started with Marte hitting second. Is Varsho, Marte, Peralta, and Walker? Varsho's had a nice season. Yeah, I mean, I know pretty it, good. again the batting averages are all bad. Don't look at any of those, but I think he's hitting like two forty eight or two fifty something like that. Um, but Varsho, especially when you consider the fact that he's catching right now. And that you got nothing out of Carson Kelly in the first month and a half of the season. I mean, Carson Kelly's hitting like 105 or something like that. Yeah. And just was an absolute liability both offensively and defensively, quite frankly. And so for Varsho to go behind the plate and be this kind of different mold of catcher. He's a left-handed hitter. You don't see a lot of catchers that hit lefty, I feel like. He's kind of quick. He's capable of playing center field. I don't think you can say that about almost any other catcher in the league. So I think he, uh, despite the batting average, Varsho has impressed me a little bit. And he's got some pop. I think he's got six homers so far this season. So, yeah, very interesting that Christian Walker comes out with his ninth home run of the year. Yeah, Jordan Luplo is also homering in that game, so it's 2 nothing D-backs. Early. And Luplo's had some nice pop. Yeah, he's been pretty he's good. He's only been up for, what is it, two weeks Guess now? Guess what? He homered off another lefty. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Hey, I wanted to close with this. Okay. Um, so you kind of mentioned on a tangent the Phoenix Suns. The tangents. And how they lose horribly in Game 7. <laughs> I paid hundreds of dollars to be there. That was a big mistake. Um, oh, yeah. Ugh. You know what it means, Sorry. though, that their run is over, is mm. that the only championship in Valley sports history still remains with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah, major championship, yeah. Major championship. The, Mer- yeah. the Mercury have a couple, and the Rattlers were... Right. 
winning championship. Yeah, I want to give yeah, them I, credit. I, I, but I know what you yeah, mean. Of the major of sports. Of the major sports, yeah. I mean, the one D-back still the only ones. So I, I, I don't really have a question here. I guess I was just kind of thinking about, like... What's the next team to win a championship? Um. Okay, so that's an interesting question. I'll change it a little bit. Um, with where each of the teams are in their current, I mean, the D-backs are obviously mid-season, but the, the you know the Cardinals just finished up the draft. Uh-huh. The Suns just lost in the playoffs, and the draft lottery was tonight. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they don't have any draft picks. Um, who do you feel best about moving forward? Rank the four teams Ooh. in the Valley that you feel best about. Okay, so including the Coyotes? Yeah. Mm. Oddly enough, I still feel the best about the Suns. Yeah. Because I think they have the talent. I just don't know what the hell happened in this playoff series where they came out in a game seven and they didn't try. Yeah. I don't think that's a talent thing. That's a mental thing. That's a that's an effort thing. And that's not something your talent can just if you don't want to play hard, then you're not going to play hard. I don't know what happened. Um, I am a little concerned about Chris Paul um, because all of a sudden he just forgot how to play basketball. I'm also not 100% sure DeAndre Ayton is going to be here next year. Um, He's a restricted free agent. They could sign and trade him. They could let him walk and sign somewhere else. Um, But, I mean, I still feel, I guess, the best about them because I trust Monty Williams and I trust James Jones to make good moves. Um, so whatever those moves may be, I think they're going to be in the playoffs again next year. The Cardinals, I guess I would have them second because they did make the playoffs last year. They won 11 games last year. The only question about them is, can? well, they're not going to have DeAndre Hopkins for the first six games because he's suspended. Um and can they fix the second half collapses that they've had the last two years? And their schedule's brutal their in the schedule, second half. And it's brutal in the first three. They play the Chiefs, Raiders, and Rams. Are you freaking kidding me? Patrick Mahomes in week one at home. Then they go to Vegas and play where Chandler Jones just signed. And, I mean, Derek Carr's no slouch. They just got Devontae Adams. And then they play the defending Super Bowl champions. In week three, so, but I mean, I th- if Kyler's still here, then you know uh, that's still not you know for sure yet. But I think I still feel the second best about them because the Diamondbacks are still kind of in a little bit of a rebuilding mode. Yeah, most of their guys are young, um, except for you know. Cattell Marte, Christian Walker, Peralta, Ahmed, those guys are veterans, and obviously they have veterans starting pitching. But for the most part, they're, they have a lot of young guys playing, and then they're going to have more young guys come up too with Corbin Carroll and maybe some of those pitchers come up. And then the, I don't know what the Coyotes are. I'm, I'm not a huge hockey person, but I know that they're moving into a new arena. They're leaving Gila River Arena in Glendale. They're moving into the ASU hockey facility. I don't know, I don't know what it's called, the building. But I know it's five thousand seats. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a hockey expert. So I don't. I don't even know if they have good young players. Really, I know that they traded a lot of their guys away for draft picks because they didn't have any draft picks. So I guess we'll see. I think this question was a lot easier than I initially thought. 
Because I agree with you. I mean, how can you not have the I Phoenix took way Suns too first? long to answer it. No, but, but, yeah. but the Suns are coming off of an NBA Finals appearance, and then I know things ended horribly, 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 but they were yeah. also the dominant number one team in the NBA this season, in the regular season. So and and ninety five percent of their team is under contract. DeAndre Ayton's the only basically the only major piece that isn't. So and he's restricted. So they're gonna re sign him. It's just a matter of whether or not he, you re sign him to play him or re sign him to trade him. Uh, yeah. And if you're trading him, because you're assuming you're getting a piece back that is equal, if not better, hopefully. Which means that you still feel good about the team. Right, again. Hopefully. Listen to Empire of the Suns. They, they yeah, know they know more, more about us than we do. But. They know more than we do. But then you're right about the Cardinals. The Cardinals come in after that. They had a really good regular season. Uh, they kind of collapsed at the end, and then they barely squeak into the playoffs and get demolished by the team that wins the Super Bowl. So I, I we know where they're at. The D-backs, I agree with you. It's a rebuild. Um, I'm feeling better by the fact that they're playing pretty well in terms of, uh, you know, they're right around 500, which I honestly thought they'd be much lower. But, I mean, their hitting just has not caught up to the pitching at this point, and their bullpen is atrocious. So Mm -hmm. I I should kind of throw that caveat in there. And then I'm with you on the Yotes. They're always at the bottom of the barrel, and that doesn't seem to change year after year. seems like every year with the Coyotes it's the same question. Are they going to be in Arizona next year? Yeah, I honestly don't. Which they are. They are, but... They're going to be playing in ASU's closet, basically. Like it's, I think I took classes in rooms with more seats than the Coyotes will be playing in the arena. I honestly think that. Um, So I think I agree with you on that. The only championship in Arizona sports history and the major sports still belongs to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yep. Unfortunately. Because I was rooting for the Suns. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's show. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. For Cody Fincher, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. You've been listening to the Ain't No Fang podcast here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.